Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. My guest today is from Lansing, Michigan, John Nugent. He has been on previous episodes. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing fine. It's a good and sunny morning here in Florida. Yes, it is. Probably be around uh, 80 degrees today. We are going to delve into a subject today that, well, that's a bit murky. It is a subject that I did not address in any detail at all in the book Insurgents. And I don't think you've ever written on it either. Nope. I have not. And we had a conversation last night about this very topic, John and I. And we found out that we are not crystal clear on this subject. In fact, we may not be clear at all on various details regarding it. However, it is part of the kingdom discussion, and I do mention it in Insurgents, and that is the subject of rewards in the eternal kingdom. There's certainly a lot about rewards in the New Testament. The term often means wages or payment or reward, as we consider that word today. And in my book, I use this framework, that there is the hearing of the gospel of the kingdom, which I argue most Christians have never heard, at least not in its fullness. Then there is the entering into the kingdom, which is receiving that message by which you enter into the kingdom. Then there is the embodying of the kingdom, which is done corporately, not just individually. And then there is the enjoying of the kingdom, the enjoying of the blessings of the kingdom and the riches of the kingdom. And then there is the proclaiming of that kingdom, which comes out of embodying it and enjoying it. And then there is the demonstrating of the kingdom, which again is a collective thing, I believe, not just individualistic. And finally, there is the inheriting of the kingdom, and that's future. There is a future inheritance as it relates to the kingdom of God, where all of the other elements, the entering, enjoying, the proclaiming, the demonstrating, are for the present age. So we have the already but not yet in those various segments. But this business of inheriting the kingdom is tied to what the New Testament often refers to as rewards. And there's a lot of debate about what the rewards are and how they operate. So what we'll do is uh, just sort of give you a scriptural sketch of some of the main passages that talk about rewards, and then we'll just comment on it. <laughs> Sounds good. And we'll give you uh, some different options uh, that are out there concerning how to interpret these passages. But for a long time, and I guess I still hold to this general idea, I believe that there is a difference between the gift and the prize. And those are scriptural terms. The gift refers to eternal life. All who come to Christ genuinely and authentically receive eternal life. And, and, and as you know, John, eternal life is not something that we wait to receive. Eternal life begins now. We, as believers, are living in the presence of the future. Eternity is in session right now for the Christian, the true Christian. But it is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. 
But this business of the prize has to do with reward. And there's another image that Paul uses. He uses the race. So all believers enter the race when they come to Christ. They're on that long stretch. Paul finished it well, the end of his life, according to his own testimony. But there's also the crown, the race and the crown, the gift and the prize. Now, some believers do not see a distinction between the two, that the prize is the gift of eternal life, that the crown is eternal life. Others believe that while all those who are in Christ will receive eternal life, now and in the future, not everyone will have the same reward. And so this business of inheriting the kingdom gets a little bit tricky when it comes to what is the scripture actually saying. So what I thought we'd do, John, is just read some passages and uh, talk about how different people interpret them. So the first one, this is not in chronological order, folks. This is just a, a smattering of what's in the New Testament regarding this issue. Revelation 22, verse 12 Jesus speaking, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone what he has done. So there's reward that could be referring to both believers and unbelievers. He does seem to be talking to God's people there. There are three crowns mentioned in the New Testament. John, there's James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So we have the crown of life. Then there is 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we have the crown of righteousness. Yep. And then in 1 Peter 5.4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive talking to the believers he's writing to, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we have the crown of glory. Now, are these references to every believer who ends up in the kingdom of God in the future? Or is it referring to a specific reward given to some believers and not others? I'll read a few more here. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 1 Corinthians 9.25 I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Revelation 3.11 And then there is Revelation 2.26 The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. It's interesting in the book of Revelation, John, that there is this call to overcomers and their promises to the overcomers. And some people have built whole doctrines around that, that there is a segment of the body of Christ that are going to be the overcomers and they're going to receive special rewards in the coming kingdom where those who don't overcome, they'll still be in the kingdom, uh, they'll still receive eternal life, but they are not going to receive the same rewards. So there is that. So I'll read a few more. Yeah. Get all the raw data out, and then we'll try to make sense of some of this, or at least give you some various interpretations. Mark 9, 41. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Matthew five twelve. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hebrews 10.35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Romans 2, verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. And that clearly is speaking of some type of reward or wage. Colossians 3.24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Matthew 5.11-12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Revelation 2.23, I will give to each of you according to your works. And of course, he's talking to one of the churches there. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, he's talking to believers. So that each one may receive for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew 16.27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Matthew 25.21, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And then, John, these last two verses here, I think, are pretty revealing. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 to 15. And before that, in verse 8, he makes this comment. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So there is the idea that there is going to be rewards given according to one's service, according to one's labor. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 15, just after he makes that statement, Paul says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, referring to the day of the Lord, will disclose it, will reveal it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, only as through fire. So this probably is the clearest passage that seems to indicate that there is a distinction between eternal life, the gift, and reward. And the context here is, of course, talking about apostolic workers, mm -hmm. people who raise up the kingdom community. Some people are going to receive reward if they build with the imperishables of gold, silver, and precious stone. Others who build with wood, hay, and straw, their work will be burned up, but they will still be saved, according to Paul. And then we have this final passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So, John, comment. All right. <laughs> well, I, I think maybe it, methodologically it might be helpful to begin with, his, with what is more clear. And move from the more clear to the less clear. Yeah, that's good. 
that whole list of verses says something that pushes against some doctrines of grace. Yeah. Right? Uh, it says that what we do in the flesh, how we worked, how we serve the Lord, matters to God. Yes. Not just because it matters to the people we're serving, but because it matters, it has something to do with our inheritance. That's right. There is a connection. Yes. And, and I think some people, the way they think of grace is that um, Judgment Day is going to be a very simple thing. <laughs> right. God's going to look at everyone. He's going to see everyone as being flawed and sinful and uh, deserving of death. The wages of sin is death. So that, that's what he's going to observe with everyone, except this group of people within everyone will be people who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Mm. Uh, and all God's going to see when he looks at them is Jesus. And then the ones that he sees Jesus in will enter into the kingdom. Uh, and the ones uh, who are not covered by the blood of the Lamb will receive their eternal judgment. Uh, and that's it. Right. That God never looks at the works. He never yes. looks at right. the life lived. And these verses clearly seem to suggest part of Judgment Day yes. is taking seriously uh, how we served and what we did with the resources God has given us. Amen. That's right. Yeah, I don't think you can escape that conclusion. Even in the book of Revelation, the clear, resounding message is Jesus is returning, and he's going to reward, and even he uses the word repay, based upon one's labor, one's work. This is also uttered throughout the rest of the New Testament. And even though Revelation is humanly impossible to understand, I think there's only three people in the universe who understand the book of Revelation, John, that's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and even they don't agree on it, <laughs> right. on what it means. But point being is that those passages are pretty clear. And it also seems, it seems that in a lot of these texts, the reward has something to do with rulership. The reward has something to do with authority. He or she who suffers with me will reign with me. He who overcomes will rule the nations. We also know that the 12 apostles seem to be given by Jesus a special place in the kingdom. Is that not correct? Yeah, that is right. And, and Revelation does talk about uh, 12 thrones that they'll be seated on. And, and is this, you know, what exactly is this about? Is this about the 12 men uh, receiving specific responsibilities? Or is, is this a statement of the 12 representing the newly reconstituted Israel? Yeah. Right and um, the people of God. This is what the twelve apostles have been about, mm -hmm. uh, continuing and fulfilling the mission of Israel to be a blessing to the nations, and that in the kingdom, the kingdom will be stand in continuity with the work of the apostles, which is standing in continuity with the work of the twelve sons of Jacob, yeah, uh, which is continuing the legacy of Abraham. Um, so the kingdom that's coming is is not a new religion. Uh, different from why God set apart Abraham, but it's the fulfillment of the promises of the law and the prophets and the work of the apostles following the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, so they're held in a, a high regard in the kingdom yes. uh, because of their foundational work yes. that the gospel mission was based on. You know, a thought just occurred to me. You remember the dialogue that the mother of two of the apostles, two of the disciples had with Jesus, where she requested that their sons be on his right and left in That's the right. coming kingdom. Mm -hmm. His response was interesting. 
he didn't say, well, you don't understand. Everybody's going to be on the same level. We're all the same. You know, we're, we all are going to enter into the kingdom the same way. He said, you don't know what you're asking. Are they willing? Are you willing to take the cup that I myself am going to drink from? And that, to me, seems to go along with this thread that we see in the epistles, that if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. There's some connection between suffering and reigning. And again, it's difficult to make a strong case whether we, one way or the other, what is that? What exactly does that mean? One of the things we talked about last night was, could it be that in the kingdom, in the coming kingdom, the reward really has to do with honor? You mm-hmm. had brought that up. Yeah. yeah so here, here's the part that it got tricky in our conversation last night and uh, what makes the concept of rewards. I, so what was clear is that God's paying attention to what we're doing. Yes. And our inheritance is somehow contingent upon what we're doing. Yes. And so, um, you know, the, the part that makes me nervous in the conversation about rewards is that uh, our life together now is supposed to be a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Right. And uh, in our life together now, God calls us not to jockey for position. That's right. Calls us that uh, not to lord over, that leaders, like we talked about in another conversation, are not those who have power over mm-hmm. the underlings in the church. Um, but there is a kind of equality among God's people, not a power struggle like the nations. Mm-hmm. right? And so my fear is that when some people hear the notion of some people are going to be rewarded mm-hmm. more than other people, uh, that when we get to uh, the kingdom of God, uh, a kind of stratification of people, a ranking, a pecking order, will yes. be there in the kingdom that Christ was trying to wean his followers off of that yes. mentality while they were here on earth. That's right. And so that's why when I, when I come to reward passages, uh, crown passages, uh, and even the reigning passage, that the reign that people who endure uh, and conquer will experience with Christ is not a reign over other disciples. That's right. That's excellent. It's the shared reign of God and his people over creation. Yes. Uh, It is the image bearers um, exercising the dominion the way they were created to exercise dominion in God's world, Uh, experiencing all the goodness and richness of God that's built into his creation, even more so manifest in the new creation, Mm -hmm. Uh, reigning together. and so there is rain, um, but is it a stratified rain like the nations? <laughs> right. Uh, where there are the haves and the has-nots, or the more powerful and the obviously less powerful. Those no- notions get tricky, and I, I could see how that yes. would be taken from these yes. scriptures. Uh, but I had to think that there's got to be some kind of continuity between the vision of the kingdom Jesus cast for how his followers should live now and oh, the absolutely. nature of the, the kingdom we receive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's clear, and I totally agree with you. There cannot be a hierarchy or a pecking order or a top-down leadership structure whereby certain disciples of the Lord are ruling over other disciples of the Lord. I, I don't think that is what's in view here. Paul does say something that's often missed. He's talking to the Corinthians about their court cases. They're taking each other to court. Yeah. And he just squeezes in this, he slips in this 
remark, do you not know that we are going to rule angels? Well, what on earth does that mean? I have no idea because he doesn't elaborate, but whatever he taught the Corinthians when he was with them, he told them something that was around this subject of rulership in the kingdom and it had to do with angels. And then also in Revelation, the book that no one really understands, there is the text that says, I will give you the authority to rule the nations. There's other passages that talk about ruling over the nations. Well, who are the nations? Right. Uh, <laughs> if everybody is in the coming kingdom because they've received eternal life, who are these nations that we're going to rule over? So it raises lots of questions, but I think that we, we can be clear about this. There is a crown, there is a prize, there is a reward given to believers in the end, and it has everything to do with how we live this life, particularly how we serve and how we labor in the Lord. So as you say in the beginning, it's not how we live and serve and labor and work for Jesus Christ is not disconnected from what happens in the future. The work that we do today goes into eternity in some way. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, I think, echoes that idea, or at least it's one of the basis for it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved, and he's talking to the whole body of believers in Corinth, so this applies to every believer. He's not just talking to apostolic workers or those who are serving the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I think the implication there, because he's talking about the resurrection mm -hmm. of the future, the implication is, is that what we're doing now in relation to serving the Lord, in relation to serving God, is somehow going to go into the future. It is not in vain. What that looks like, I don't think Scripture is clear enough to, to answer that question. And before you brought up the concept of honor, that the honor might be different in the kingdom. And, you know, I think about the analogy in my household, my wife does most of the cooking. And Thank God for that. <laughs> I'm very blessed because she does. <laughs> and your children are happy about it, um, too. <laughs> and I truly believe that when we sit around the table, uh, no one believes, uh, no one enjoys that food more than her. Mm. Uh, because there's something about your hands were in the ingredients, your hands, you were hovering over the stove, making sure it was just right. By the time you sit down and relax to eat the food, your enjoyment of that is different than the person who just showed up and boom, there it was on the plate and ate the food. Mm -hmm. uh, you may not appreciate the ingredients that went into it. You may not appreciate just, it was just hot enough. Uh, not overcooked, not undercooked, but the one who was vested in it uh, enjoys it in a way that the person who just received it doesn't. And I feel this way about uh, construction projects. I like to do work on my own home. And uh, my wife and I just finished a massive kitchen remodel. And I really enjoy that kitchen now mm. because of all the work I put into the electrical, uh, the wood, uh, the painting, uh, the flooring, um, that aspect of the room, I truly appreciate in a way that my guests in my home, they say, oh, this is a nice kitchen. 
Mm. It's functional. It works well. Mm. Uh, when I spend time in the kitchen, I enjoy it because I'm vested. And I wonder if, you know, those who uh, invested their whole life into the kingdom, who gave it all up for the kingdom, mm. uh, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, will experience a level of joy in the kingdom that is deeper than the thief on the cross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who came very late on the scene. Uh, who nonetheless will enter the kingdom. Yeah. Um, and it's not that we will have power over him because, you know, we were in it longer and we worked harder. Right. Uh, right. But our reward will be richer because of how much we invested mm. in it. Our appreciation of the riches of the kingdom will be greater because of how much we gave up in this life for mm. that very kingdom. And I don't know if that may have something to do with the different be. experiences of reward in the kingdom. It could be. It could very well be part of it. Uh, I'm also reminded of statements by Paul when he writes to the churches. And the one that comes to mind is when he writes to the Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians. He says to them, you are my joy and my glory in that coming day for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming is it not you yes you are our glory and joy that's first Thessalonians 2 19 he makes a similar statement in other places as it refers to the ecclesia hmm. the kingdom community that he formed Somehow, I think this ties into the work that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, the work that came from his hands. Somehow, there is a connection between the people to whom we minister. In this case, Paul is an apostle. He's looking at the kingdom community in Thessalonica, and he says, You are my joy and crown and glory at the coming of Christ in that day. Yeah, that's right. So here are some of the different interpretations, the different models that take a look at this idea of kingdom and reward. One is the idea that every time it talks about reward, it's talking about eternal life, and everyone receives the same reward. Everyone that who is in Christ, that is, receives the same reward. It's eternal life. And you have that parable that we talked about this morning where Different workers in the vineyard join the job at different times. <laughs> Some have been working a lot longer than others, and then at the end of the day, they all get paid the same. Right. And so, however long you've been a Christian, however long you've been following the Lord, and, according to this view, whatever you've done for the Lord, little or much, great or small, you will receive eternal life. That's a reward. So that's interpretation number one. Interpretation number two would make a distinction between the gift, eternal life, and the reward, the crown, the prize. And there's going to be a different measure of reward according to one's works. That's not going to affect their salvation. I think 1 Corinthians 3, the passage I read earlier, makes a good case for that. It seems to me that that passage is difficult to interpret in any other way than to say that some people's work is going to be, their work is going to be burned up. They'll still be saved, but they're not going to receive the reward of the person who has built with imperishable materials, gold, yeah. pearl, precious stone. There are still others, John, who would say that 
entering into the kingdom of God in the future is the reward. But not all Christians, not all people who receive eternal life will actually enter the kingdom. And so the way they interpret all the passages about inheriting the kingdom, for example, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, those who commit certain sins, and Paul gives these lists of sins, will not inherit the kingdom. Well, these people say that's not talking about your salvation or eternal life. That's talking about the reward of the kingdom, and not everyone is going to enter into that. The problem with that view, though, is that in the Gospels, it's really difficult to separate eternal life and the kingdom as mm -hmm. if they're two separate things. That's where you have a little difficulty. So those are the those are the main interpretation models when it comes to this issue of reward. Yeah, a variant of the third one could be a matter of chronological perspective. I mean, there could be people who have entered into God's kingdom. They've entered into eternal life. They're serving the body of believers. They're bearing witness to the kingdom in their life with their time, their energy, their resources. Um, but they don't finish the race. And mm. so they never experience the crown. Like yes. the crown is um, you've lived the life to the end. And now the crown is given to you. The inheritance is received. Whereas others, you know, like Jesus talks about those, the different soils, right? Yeah. Um, right? It grew up in them and it was active in them. And Hebrews talks about those who experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit and the new life and the life of the ages, but who don't persevere. Right. And, and and on account of falling away, do not receive the inheritance, do not receive the crown. So there is an eternal life that begins now, that is experienced now, that's lived now. That's right. That is salvation, uh, that naturally is supposed to culminate in a crown, a final reward, an inheritance. And for not all people, um, not all people will persevere to the end and receive that. And yeah. so it's... It's the same salvation, right, that's headed in the same direction, uh, but because others abort mission, uh, they don't experience the yeah. fullness of it. So it could be a distinguishing between the now and the not yet yeah. uh, for those whose faith is aborted. Well, Brother John has just brought up the thorny question of the ages, can a Christian lose their salvation, which we will not get into in this episode. But if you want to hear my answer to that question, I just released an episode on YouTube, my YouTube channel, entitled, Can a Christian Lose Their Salvation? And it is a different view from probably anything you've ever heard. It answers the question practically rather than theologically. And so if you want to go to the YouTube channel, you can go to frankviola.org and you'll see the YouTube banner on the right-hand side. But, uh, yeah, it leads to other questions. And I think the bottom line here, if we can bottom line this, is to say that what you and I do for the kingdom of God, for Jesus Christ, in our life now, matters and has consequences for the future. Yeah. And that applies to all believers. That applies to everyone who's going to enter into the kingdom of God, everyone who has eternal life. And as we say, eternal life begins now. It's not just referring to longevity. It's referring to a kind of life. Eternal life is divine life. It's the life of Jesus Christ. He is eternal life, and that begins now in us, for he is our indwelling Lord. But what we do today does, in fact, have consequences in the future. Grace does produce works. 
It does produce action, and the Lord is going to look at that in the end. For me, John, these are sobering passages. These are passages that make you step back and take a serious look at your Christian walk. There is going to be a reckoning of some sort, even for believers. Have you heard uh, a song by Ray Boltz called Thank You? I believe I have. Yeah, so it's a story of uh, a man who's entered into the kingdom and this parade of people come to him and thank him for what he's done for them on their faith That's right. journey. And, That's right. And some say, hey, you used to teach my Sunday school class. Or, hey, you helped me out in this moment. And, and each person comes before this believer and thanks them for what they've done in the Lord. And uh, I wonder if this, this is not another way of thinking about what it might mean for Christians to have different experiences of the reward in the kingdom. Like The mm. more you vested, yeah. uh, the bigger of a family reunion <laughs> you're headed for in the kingdom. And, and this is connected to the issue of honor. Right. It's not that this person has top-down worldly power over others in the kingdom, right? but That's their right. faithful service in the kingdom has made it possible for so many more people to be there that they may qualitatively experience the kingdom of God in a dip, deeper and richer way because their life was so vested in the kingdom. Yeah, I remember that song. That's an old song. Oh, yeah. It's been around for yeah. a while. Yeah, I remember the tune. Listen to this passage in Luke 16, because I think it goes along with what you're saying. This is a mysterious passage. There's a lot of words that Jesus uttered that are difficult for us to understand, and here's one of them. Luke 16, 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. <laughs> Make friends with the unrighteous mammon so that those people will welcome you into eternity. So it seems to me, one interpretation of this passage, John, and I'd like to hear yours, is that Jesus is saying, use money for the purpose of the kingdom of God and with respect to bringing people into the kingdom. Use money to bring people into the kingdom so that when you enter the kingdom, they will be there too in eternity and will be thanking you for how you use your money to bring them into the kingdom. Now, that's an interesting interpretation. Do you have a different one or does that resonate with you? Uh, there's no doubt this statement by Jesus is one of his most striking ones. You know, he uses an example of a dishonest worker <laughs> who is shrewd and wise and strategic in canceling certain people's bills so that he incurs their favor. Um, I, you know, I think Jesus is making a statement that advises us about our use of resources. Um, I want to make that statement compatible with all his other statements about money. Yes. Um, and so I think the application is not be dishonest at your job right. for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, that's the parable. That's the analogy. Right. The thing that it's pointed to is what does it look like for Christians to use their money in such a way that they're investing in people who's an investment in, in people's eternal um, standing before God. And I think that would look like being radically generous with our money. Yes. It would look like those who have more sharing bountifully with those who have less. Mm. Uh, it's being shrewd, like 
be smart. If, if God says, you know, pour it all out for me and enter into my riches, the shrewd thing to do is to pour it all out for him um, in ways that are consistent with the kingdom. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if the wicked can act wise and in their own self-interest uh, to save their own skin, why can't Christians do kingdom calculus and mm. say the most fruitful thing you can do uh, for your eternal standing in the kingdom is to be radically generous for the kingdom. Um, we should be all the more wise and shrewd and take seriously our stewardship. Yeah. And that too will go into eternity. And mm -hmm. the people we affect by the use of our money will be remembered in eternity. And that's what that passage seems to be pointing to, whether it's fellow disciples of the Lord or people we bring into the kingdom through the use of our funds. Well, folks, I think that's a good stopping point. I will end with the words of Jesus in Revelation 22, verse 12, for you to ponder and mull over. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.